are here with Phoenix Rising assistant coach Peter Ramage. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks for having us on the show, guys. Absolutely. So before I, I turn it over to Owen to sort of dig into your background, I wanted to ask, this has been a sort of a weird time for all of us. What have you been doing to keep yourself busy, especially before the team went back to training in some capacity? Yeah, um, I mean, we were in daily contact with the players, making sure they were all okay, following the programs. You know, Steve Fell and, uh, and Brennan, the, on the medical side of things, had, their, had a fitness program that they had to kind of adhere to, which um, by and large, the guys were, were, un, were incredible. Um, obviously, it's, it's not a thing that we're just going through. It's a thing that the whole world's going through. So, you know, speaking to some of the guys who have obviously got friends at other clubs and, and things like that uh, throughout the world, they knew what they had to do. And, and by and large, they're doing it. Uh, they've done it. So for myself, it was a good opportunity to continue to try and develop myself. You know, I, it's something that I was never great at at school was reading. But, you know, I've picked up, I think it's, I'm on my ninth book. Um, over this last sort of nine weeks, I've been trying to read a book a week, which is uh, for nine more than I've read in the last nine years, put it that <laughs> way. So uh, just reading, speaking to, to coaches, managers, friends uh, in the game uh, throughout the world. Um, it's given me an opportunity to kind of reconnect in that respect and, and also do podcasts and, uh, and speak to people about this beautiful game. Okay, I lied, Owen. I'm sorry. I want to know, Peter, favorite book that you've read over that last nine weeks? Ooh, good question. Um, <clears throat> I've read uh, Pete Carroll's book, Win Forever. Um, mm. It was one that Rick gave the, uh, Rick gave the guys a, a couple of months ago, so I finally had the time to, to sit down and read that. Um, there's a, an ex-Army Marine guy called Ant Middleton uh, in, back home in England who uh, talked about his leadership skills uh, in, the, in the Marines and the, in the, kind of the Army, and I read that and really enjoyed it. And, I've just recently started uh, a, guy, a guy it's called Kevin Roberts. Um, who's a Sachi at Sachi, the CEO there. Uh, it's called 64 Shots. And I just began reading that uh, the other day and now already glued into it. So it's, uh, it's been good. Like I said, it's something that reading's never been a, it was never one of my educational tools. Um, I learned through, through visuals and, uh, and being active and things like that. So sitting down and reading was a, is a struggle for me, but, something I've enjoyed in this in this saying a lockdown period I think I'll forgive you for that one Joe because I was going to ask the exact same question but uh <laughs> but let's hop back in time now and let's go back to when you were growing up in the northeast yeah what was your first real exposure to uh the sport uh I well I grew up in a little town called Berwick-upon-Tweed which is just on the Scottish border uh it's an hour from Edinburgh and an hour from Newcastle it's in the middle of nowhere really but it was, um, I grew up just playing football. We didn't have all these uh, computer consoles when we were growing up, but we think it was the, uh, the Commodore 64 and the Super Nintendo was just coming out. So um, all we really had was just to go out and play football. And that's all it was, you know, we were playing football morning, noon and night. Uh, or oh, I was a big sport fan. I loved my cricket. Uh, I loved golf. I loved tennis. So um, if I was bored of playing football, I was going to play something else, and uh, and that was really it. It was just playing playing sports out in the out in the friends, whether it was or with my friends, sorry, whether it was rain, sunshine, sleet, snow, whatever it was. We were out, we were outside, and we were always active. Uh, like I said, I didn't have the I didn't have iPads or iPods or whatever it is that it, all these kids. I mean, my two girls are sitting on their on their laptops at the minute, six year olds and nine. I didn't even know what a laptop was until I was, you know. 
but 19 year old so uh, yeah, that was uh, that was my upbringing. I noticed you didn't mention one sport in there that you've got some uh, familial links to. Uh, what is it then that pushed you more towards football, say, than than other sports? Uh, I just enjoyed football more than anything else. My dad was a my dad was an international rugby referee. He refereed at World Cups. He refereed Tri Nations, uh, six or five nations it was back then. Moving into the Six Nations. Um, so I was around a lot of a uh, lot of rugby. Um, went to watch his games when he was doing all the international games, you know, in amongst the the England, the New Zealand, the Barbarians, the Australians, the South Africans. Uh, um, so that it was a huge part of my life was rugby, but football was my passion. It's what my friends played. None of there was only only my best best mate played rugby. All my other friends played football. So. Uh, and I was pretty good at it as well, so I thought, why not try and uh, pursue that dream? Well, knowing that your dad was a referee, uh, you know, has that impacted your uh, actions on the pitch and the way that you spoke to referees? Or yes, uh... yes, is uh, I mean, it's I kind of know how to speak to referees. Um, I was, as you probably seen in my the latter part of my career, I was uh, you know over here I was very vocal. Um, I wasn't short and, uh, and letting people know my, my thoughts and referees were included in that. But um, I always had a respect for, for referees and still do for the fact that they have a tough job. You know, players make a million mistakes in a game and nothing's really said about it. A referee makes a mistake and it's, you know, it's highlighted on every social media, every uh, TV channel and, uh, and everything. So, and I've seen that with my dad and what he had to go through. Uh, he was... <laughs> Very, very thick-skinned. Never let anything bother him. Um, at the end of the day, he was always reminding me of a missed pass or a, a missed <laughs> header or something like that. He was like, well, that's gonna, hang on a second. I made one mistake in the game. You made it. And then he would go on and on and on. And So, I, you know, I, I did have a respect for referees. And I like to think that I had, uh, had a good relationship with, uh, with guys off the field, which allowed me to maybe push, it, push the boundaries a little bit more on the field. In the academy with Newcastle, Peter, when did you realize that you had a real shot to make the first team? Uh, when I was lining up to um, to make my debut, it was probably about the moment I thought, yeah, I've got a chance here. Um, <laughs> I was never earmarked as a as somebody that would go through. Um, I was I had a talent that was going to get me so far, but then I had my work ethic and determination was going to get me to the next stage, which is what I worked on more than anything. Um, so I think when I was coming through, I thought I had an inkling that I would have a career in the game. I just didn't know which level. Um, I always hoped and dreamed it would be at the Premier League. And I was so fortunate enough to spend, you know, four professional years at Newcastle. Well, I mean, I was there for, for 10 years in total, 11 years in total. Uh, went in as a professional at 16-year-old uh, and, and left at 24. So I kind of had eight years in, in the professional game. And I think it was probably when I was about 19, 20 that I thought, you know, I might have a chance here. Um, but it was not until, I, like I said, like I was stripped and ready to go on for my debut that I realised that, yeah, you know, this dream might come true. Can you talk us a little bit about your debut then? Yeah, it was against Olympiacos. was my, my first appearance. Um, we were in the UEFA, uh, the UEFA, UEFA Cup, it was back then. Um, we played the first leg and I was part of the travelling squad. I didn't make the 18 for the first leg. And uh, it was the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup and... And we won three one it in Olympiacos in Greece, and it was um, it was one of the most incredible experiences being a part of that group. Um, okay, I didn't get stripped, but I was 
you know, there and seeing what happened. And uh, the atmosphere in the stadium was electric, absolutely electric. And then we came back and I was on the bench for the, for the return leg and Graeme Souness um, said, you know, if we get a couple of goals up, you might have, there might be an opportunity for you. And um, 20 minutes into the second half, I think we were two or three nil up on the tie, which meant we were five or six one up in the, in the, 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 whole, the whole leg. Um, and yeah, he turned around and he originally asked Steve Harper, who was a substitute goalkeeper, if he wanted the last 20 minutes. And Harps was like, no, nah, just stick one of the kids on. And uh, I was quick and ready to go. And, and that was my time was uh, going on for the last sort of 20, 25 minutes and, and make my debut in front of my friends and family. So then, you know, when eventually the time comes that you leave Newcastle, having, having been there for, as you said, was it 10, 11 years, how hard was it for you to adjust leaving the club? Yeah, it was, um, it was really, really hard because... Uh, I didn't realise there was a world outside of Newcastle, if I'm brutally honest with you. I'd never been south of the River Tyne other than to go and play football, so I didn't know what the what the big bad, big bad world was um, entailed. And um, I mean, that last year of my contract, um, I tore my cruciate, so I was out for the whole of the season. Four games into the season, my season was done. Uh, Kevin Keegan was the manager, who was a hero of mine, you know, watching the entertainers group. Um, I mean, I don't know if Joe knows about the entertainers, but Owen, I'm sure you do. You know that time where Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, David Ginola, Keegan was the manager of that group that nearly won the Premier League. Um, so for him to come back, and he was brilliant for me. You know, he encouraged me to go and seek a, seek a club elsewhere. But however, if I wanted to stay, there was a contract there for the day that, until the day that I signed for somebody. So QPR came in for me, and uh, I made the tough decision to, to leave Newcastle. And... Um, yeah, I had a lot of uh, a lot of bad times at you know leaving. Uh, I was in a lot of dark places when I when I was in London on my own. I uh, struggled for the first sort of three four months until I kind of got my head around it and uh, and settled down. So, still talking about your playing days, then is there anyone that you'd uh, identify perhaps as the biggest character that you've played alongside? Uh, there's a lot of characters that I've played alongside. A lot of them. I mean, there's. Um, some more than others uh, for different reasons. I mean, probably just because it's fresh in my mind, probably one of the biggest characters I've ever come across was Jordan Stewart. Um, for the last year that we had it at Phoenix in that 2017 year, it was uh, some of the, the funnest times that I've ever had in my career was with um, particularly Jordan and Sean, Sean Wright Phillips, you know, the three, three elder statesmen as we were known. Um, you know, I like Dids was Didier was part of the group, but you know, he was he was an owner, so he was he's an owner, so he's kind of was put on that side. You know, me, Sean, and Jordan were uh, were on this side, but Jordan probably more so than anybody because I was out here on my own. My wife and kids were uh, were back home in England. Um, they didn't do the they didn't do the the move with me for the last year because I didn't know what was going on in my career. So um, Jordan kept me uh, kept me active on the golf course. We were uh, Team UK were undefeated. <laughs> Uh, and we had some really good times off the field as well as striking up a really good partnership on the field as well. I think we were, uh, you know, a large part of the the success that we had and, you know, qualifying for the playoffs uh, in that 2017 was, you know, down to the two old heads at the back. Well, you mentioned there with your family, you know, being back in the UK, obviously rising wasn't your first trip overseas. So how hard was it as you get to the end of your career and you've got a young family to be kind of going around the world? Yeah, it is. I mean, I'd done India um, 
but India was four months. Um, this was going to be a whole year that I was going to be, you know, away from them. Yes, my kids and my wife were going to be visiting every now and then, but it would be sporadic, you know, moments that I'd see them. FaceTime is a wonderful tool, um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't beat the fact of, you know, giving your, your kids a kiss goodnight or, you know, a hug when they're feeling, uh, when they're not feeling great. So it was, that was really, really tough. But again, you know, having people like Jordan, um, who, you know, he was, uh, he had a daughter in, in California, so he kind of knew what I was going through. Okay, he was with his, he was with his partner, Vanessa. But Sean's got, Sean had kids um, back home in England. So that's when we kind of came together because we were all, all going through similar sort of periods or similar sort of situation off the field as we were, you know, on it. And um, it was tough. It was hard to, to, to get your head around it. But uh, my wife um, has been an incredible support throughout my career. Um, you know, she's always followed me. She's always given me the platform to continue to do what I love. And that's, you know, play football at the time. And, and obviously now coach, she's, uh, she's out here with the kids supporting me. So we do want to get into more of your coaching career thus far. But before that, talking about you playing here in Phoenix, you played under Frank Gallup, under Patrice and under Rick Schantz at various times in various situations. What are the differences in managerial styles between those three guys? And which is kind of your favorite to play under? Uh, oh, good question. I came out here to Phoenix in a moment where I was, I'd lost my love for the game. Um, I was ready to retire. And Frank was the best manager uh, for me at that moment in time because he just uh, allowed me to do whatever I wanted. Um, I came out here for 10 days, to be brutally honest with you, to see what Phoenix was about. I didn't even have a clue where Phoenix was when he, you know, when Birch rang his tasks to come out. Ge- geography was never a strong point at school. So where the heck is Phoenix? I never, obviously, I, know, I knew everything about the MLS, but this was the USL. I didn't even know there was another league. So when I came out here, Frank was the manager that I needed at that moment in time. Um, he was just a wonderful human who allowed me to enjoy my time off the field. You know, we had many a night in Old Town, but um, uh, him allowing me to enjoy that meant that I could enjoy my football on the field too. Um, you know, then you, Frank leaves and Patrice comes in and Patrice was um, someone who I learned so much off because I knew I was going to, at some point in the, in the immediate future, transition into coaching. So I learned a lot of Patrice um, on how to uh, kind of how to detail your Monday to Friday to get the best out of you on Saturday. But coming over here was totally different because, you know, we train back home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or train Thursday and Friday. Now all of a sudden I'm training Monday through to Friday with a game on Saturday, my day off on Sunday. And even my day off, Patrice had us doing something. So it was like, well, and, but when you go and talk to him and you ask him and you pick his brains, and um, Patrice was so open and honest with, with you. And it um, gave you an insight on, I mean, the guy's won multiple titles in, uh, in his career. And, and he was, a, and something we like to joke about is he had actually a spell at Sunderland as a player. Uh, and obviously me being from Newcastle, we, uh, we had that little bit of, uh, that kind of link together. So it was good fun whenever Newcastle played Sunderland. He was always <laughs> in red and white and I was always coming in a black and white and would, uh, would laugh and joke about it. Um, but then Rick now, um, it's obviously his first real managerial at this kind of level. And I think what the three of us and, and plus, you know, myself, Blair and Rick, plus obviously Corey, um, we've just got this uh, good synergy about us. 
you know, we push, we push each other's boundaries. We're all kind of somewhat young in our uh, managerial experience at this level. Uh, certainly me and Blair are. Rick's obviously, he's got a wonderful knowledge of, uh, of soccer and a wonderful uh, contact base throughout the, the MLS through his time at, at organising the, the cup competitions down at Tucson. So, you know, whenever he needs advice or whenever he needs something, he can pick up the phone to, to a number of MLS coaches, which... Um, has helped us no end over the, the last sort of 18 months that I've been out here anyway, nearly two years. So to ask, to, I know it's been a long way to answer your question, but I don't think I could pick um, pick one out of the three because each at, the, each at the time is what I've needed for me personally. You know, like I said, Frank at the start got me my love back for the game. Patrice gave me the... Um, the ammunition and the knowledge to, to help me to become a coach. And now Rick's given me the platform to, to coach. You just mentioned Rick calling in some favors or, or picking up the phone with MLS coaches and that helping the club out in some way. Other than the, the sort of familial relationship with LAFC, how has, how has Rick used those favors to really help Phoenix Rising? Well, we got John Baccaro from Toronto because he knew Greg Vanny. Uh, he picked up the phone. We got Saad Abdul Salam from New York City. Um, you know, we've got Eric Dick from, from Sport in Kansas City at this moment in time because Rick's good friends with Peter Vermees. Um, obviously, has the relationship with the LAFC guys. That came about because of Rick's uh, contact base with them. So, like I said, he's, he's got an incredible contact base where he can, he can pick up the phone, you know, throughout this um, lockdown period. He's been, you know, in contact with uh, a number of guys. You know, Blair himself's got contact with, you know, Caleb Porter out at, uh, at Columbus. So between the two of them, and in particularly Rick, um, we've got, we've, we, we've got uh, options to be able to pick the brains of some of American soccer's finest coaches and, um, and being able to bring you know, some really, really talented players uh, to the football club because of, because of what these guys have done, uh, and in particular Rick has, has worked hard to get. So when you did hang up your boots then and you went back to Newcastle and you were coaching, or you'd gone from being in a professional, uh, you know, as a player to coaching in an academy with some of the younger kids, how much of a change was that for you? Uh, it's a good question because coaching was something I'd already marked that I wanted to do um, from an early age, to be really honest with you. And I obtained my A licence um, by the time I was 30. Uh, and didn't retire till I was 34. But at coaching, I'd been coaching at Barnsley when I was on loan there uh, throughout my licences. Um, in between the 2016 and 17 seasons, I went back to Newcastle to keep fit um, during the off-season over here. It was obviously the winter back home. So um, Peter Beersley and Ben Dawson um, with, a, with a coaching staff and Ben's become a bit of a mentor to me um, through my coaching career. So I was working with the 23s while keeping fit and then it was literally, I left here and I think it was the middle of October, end of October um, in 2017. I landed on a Thursday afternoon and I went into the academy on a Friday. Um, ben rang and asked us to come in for a meeting and uh, I, I began my first day coaching on the, the following Monday. So the option for me to continue playing was kind of taken away from me and um, making that transition into coaching was something that I didn't know if I was going to enjoy. I was working with the under 13s on a, on a night time, but I was also working with the 23s on uh, during the day, which allowed me to get the best of both worlds. So I've kind of got the adult side of things. And then I was learning uh, 
with the younger with the younger group and I got so much joy working with the under 13s it was it was an age group that was kind of synonymous because it was where I started at Newcastle that was kind of my age group so I kind of knew what they were going through but for me as a coach it allowed me to to learn a different set of skills um most in my communication than anything else you know you can't effing blind uh to 13 year old kids or else you're uh, you're holding front of the powers to be so um learning a new way of uh, of communicating and you know still i'm still trying to learn that um it's a lot easier not to go from the other side of things when you've got these guys who are a, a lot older um but it, it gave me a, a thirst for it coaching the younger group and you know it's something here at phoenix that you know i'm 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 passionate about for for our for our club you know moving into the you know potentially moving into the other well we are moving into the kind of academy kind of status um I'm going to be looking to be, you know, quite a, an active part of that as well. And how much has academy football really changed from back in the back in the days when you were, you know, a player in that kind of a setup? It wasn't an academy. It was we were schools of excellence. Um, it was not until academies, probably early 2000s, mid 2000s, when it kind of moved and transitioned into an academy. Uh, I mean, the kind of the structure and the setup was the same, but it was a, a different kind of terminology. Um, and now academies are a lot more professional. The facilities that certainly the top clubs um, have available for the kids coming through is, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I wish uh, I wish I'd had them. I might have been able to stay in the, the top for a lot longer than I did if I'd had the uh, privy to the uh, to the facilities that they had. But it's um, it's changed. There's a lot. Uh, some of it hasn't changed for the better, in my in my opinion. Um, you know, we grew up in a hard industry um, when we were youth. Um, there was a there was jobs for us to do. Um, if you didn't do them, you were uh, you were punished, so to speak. Where now nowadays, kids certainly back home. I'm not I'm not 100 sure what it's like over here, but back home, you know, kids don't have jobs, so they've got no responsibilities other than just putting on a pair of boots and going out on the field. Whereas when we were learning to uh, learning our trade, we uh, we were learning life skills as well. That was to to help us be successful if football wasn't, if we weren't going to be successful in football, you know, tardiness, you know, looking after your equipment uh, was something that was big for us. But these guys come off the field, drop their kit into on the floor and, and people are there to pick things up. Well, that wasn't around when we were there. If you didn't pick your kit up and put it in the basket, it was there the next morning and you had to put it on. And, uh, and in the northeast of England, your kit got wet and it got very, very cold and you didn't want to put that on the next day. So, Peter... We've had Brandon McCarthy and Bobby Dooley on the show talking about the importance of Phoenix's stake in, in, in the academy setup in the United States. And you mentioned it here as well. What is your outlook on joining MLS's new development league? What is that going to look like for Phoenix Rising? And what do you expect your role to be in that? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be great because it's going to build us hopefully a pathway uh, to the first team. I think uh, I've been out in, with Cookie and, and watching the young groups. I think there's a lot of talent in, in Phoenix area, but not just the Phoenix area, but Arizona. Um, you know, we've seen, we've played against, you know, and seen a couple of the Barcelona kids have coming out to us. And now we're trying to get them to come into our academy and, and also players and, and the ownership group and Bobby have done an unbelievable job and, and Cookie as well to, to get what we have now. And now it's to try and get, players to come through like I did at Newcastle coming through and playing the first team but getting them in at a young age and developing them with our style of play our philosophy and methodology to to be Phoenix rising footballers um, and for me the dream is for them not to go to college 
to stay in. Uh, and obviously, I know education is a massive part of the American system, but you know, can we figure out a way of getting their education here in, in Phoenix and also playing in Phoenix as well? Um, so we're not going out and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on players and, and big squads from players outside of the area that we're actually bring, bringing through our own that are going to go on to have sustained careers in, in the game. And, you know, potentially it might not be at Phoenix, but it might be to go on and play in Europe for, for one of the big, big teams in Europe. So now, as a coach, when you look back at your your playing career, which you know coaches and managers do you look to to emulate almost, and which you know are there any maybe that you look to deliberately be different to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had a few, and um, it was a question I was asked the other day on a on a on a different podcast, and um, I mean it's it's a kind of generic answer, but you take a little bit of something from every one of them, and every single one of them has had some kind of input in my in my playing career that I'm going to try and take you know I had I began my footballing you know professional career under the the late and the absolute legendary Bobby Robson so Bobby Robson and his man management skills were second to none like his how he knew he or sorry I should say he knew everything about a 17 year old kid from Berwick upon Tweed he knew the same amount of information that he did about uh, a 27-year-old at the time, a 27-year-old Alan Shearer, who was, you know, the Premier League's leading goal scorer and England captain. He knew everything about everybody, you know, and he could uh, he could hold a conversation with with me in the same and and hold me in the same regard as he would hold in a conversation. And then you have managers like Neil Warnock, who the same, um, you know, man management skills, but just didn't have a didn't want to be on the training field and you wouldn't see him on there. Um, but then I had, you know, going later on, um, you know, Patrice, his attention to detail and on training, um, you know, obviously Rick as well. But then I had managers, you know, back in England, Ben Dawson, who I referenced, learning from him, Ben Garner, who's now with Bristol Rovers. I had managers throughout my career who have, I've learned something from, whether it be from a technical and tactical side of things or whether it be from the social and psychological side of things. It's, I've taken something from everyone um, and try and, and, it's, and I'm never going to get to where I want to be. Uh, it's it's going to be the impossible, the impossible dream is to, to be the, the perfect coach. I'm, I'm never going to get there, but it's, for me, it's going to be about, you know, the journey to try and get to perfection. We mentioned contacts earlier. Is there any one person that you'd think immediately comes to mind if you had a problem that you'd, you'd give a call to? Yeah, the two Bens, Ben Dawson and Ben Garner. Um, the two, them two are, uh, Ben was a big influence on me when I, he was at Crystal Palace. He was the first team coach there, but um, he's a student of the game. He hadn't really played it at a high level. He was, I don't even think he played at a level, this is brutally honest with you, but he, his coaching um, abilities were, were incredible. Um, so he's one that I speak to on a regular basis. And then Ben Dawson, again, who's a, the, head of a, the head of football development at Newcastle United's um, you know, he was, uh, he's somebody that I spend a lot of time uh, asking questions. And, you know, when I, go, when I just went back over this off-season, uh, I, I was in every day watching Ben work and, and picking his brains on, on how, to, uh, how to be a better coach. You're talking about picking, you know, Ben's brain on coaching things. Well, I want to pick your brain, Peter, on the centre-backs on Phoenix Rising's roster. Going one by one through these guys, let's start with AJ Cochran. Can you sort of analyze his game and what you what you expect to get out of AJ each game and areas that he can still improve as a player as well? One of biggest one of AJ's biggest strengths is uh, his left foot. 
I mean, he's got a, for me, he's got a wand of a left foot. Um, he can pick out a pass, as we've seen over the course of the last 12 months. From, you can find it through the eye of a needle. Uh, and one of the big things when, you know, we were looking back in the off-season of, you know, kind of 2018 going into 2019, we needed a left-sided centre-back. Uh, and AJ was, was our number one target. Um, I watched a lot of film on him. Um, and I was just so impressed with his ability to play out, which was how we wanted to play. Um, and he hasn't disappointed me. Um, he's still got a lot of things he needs to work on. You know, his right foot. He needs to work on his right foot. And he knows that, as, as the other guys know. And then this is not just AJ working on his, on his weaker foot. I think the, all, all the guys do. But, you know, I mean, AJ is a big lad. Um, he's a big old unit from St. Louis. So he knows that he needs to keep his body in physical shape. He's, he's similar to me. He's just never going to have pace um, that's going to, you know, keep up with with junior in a sprint race or, or solo in a sprint race. But AJ's reading of the game is, is another attribute that he has that, you know, combats the, the weakness. And um, he's, a, he's a player that, you know, we have high hopes. It's, um, you know, obviously he's been in the MLS. He was there at Houston. Um, you know, obviously he was at Atlanta. <coughs> so he's, he's tasted that. And, you know, he should be aspiring to get back to them. And, and for me, not only AJ, there's other players in our squad that, you know, have got the ability to get back to where they should be. Shifting from left center back to right center back, Corey Whelan and Joey Farrell. Walk me through these two guys. Joey's the guy, I'll start with him. Joey's a guy that you uh, you would love or you would want next to when you go to war. Um, I mean, he is a stereotypical center off. He will put his head in where he hurts. He'll um, be the first person when there's, you know, when you're going through testing times, he'll be the first one that, you know, shoulders back, chest out and go and tit and and take that challenge head on. And um, it's an absolute privilege and an honor to work with him day in, day out. And he works so hard on his game. He knows that he's not there, hasn't got the passing ability of AJ, but he works so hard on it. And from my time watching him prior to coming back as a coach to now, um, the development and how he's got so much better and calmer on the ball. You know, I watched him in the previous and he was just, you know, hoofing it away and, and not really thinking about things. Now he's becoming a student of the game and, and he works so hard on it. And I think he's he's another centre-back who I believe is one of the better ones in the league who, you know, we we were privileged. We were really... Uh, he was There was a lot of interest in Joey in the off-season and he had a lot of options. Um, and it was one of our main main targets was to to keep Joey at the football club and, uh, you know, and build on, and for me to try and keep on building on the, the abilities that he has. I mean, again, similar to AJ, he's got to continue working on his left foot. Um, you know, if something's to go happen to AJ, him or Corey have got to play on the left-hand side, so they've got to be able to pass. And it's something that was, it's close to my heart because I, that's how I went through, or how I got my start in football, was that I had an older, experienced centre-back on the right-hand side, so I was shifted to the left and you have to learn. And these guys are learning and enjoy again. He works his socks off. And uh, like I said, it's a privilege to work with him. And then, you know, we obviously we brought Corey in from Liverpool, who again was, was put in front of us from, you know, Brandon's uh, contacts at Liverpool. And immediately Corey was exactly what we're looking for, a guy that could play all across the back four. You've seen it, you know, at the back end of last season, he filled in for Muzzin, obviously the Monarchs game at right back. Um, he's obviously more comfortable at, at centre-back. And again, his calmness on the ball, his ability to play out from the back. And again, Corey's working 
in fact, I got a text from him this morning working about on his left foot and continue to working on his game. And these three are, um, we've got a, we've got a really good three there. And, you know, Austin Ledbetter is going to have opportunities potentially at centre-back too. And a guy that Rick knows from a lot of time in Austin um, is again, versatile like Corey and, uh, between the four of them, you know, they're going to see potential once we hopefully get started again, all four of them are going to see time and whoever's on that field, um, you know, I have full confidence in, in all four of them that they'll perform because each of them in their own right are starters. Well, just on the mention of Corey there, I feel like I have to ask this question now. When we spoke to Sam Stanton, uh, you know, way back when we started this uh, podcast, he said that that Corey was he likes to think of himself as a bit of a joker, but his sense of humour is lacking. Uh, what what is your take on that, B? Yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously, Sam. We, I mean, it's the one thing I miss about playing is not being involved in all like the banter and things like that. So when Sam comes out with things like, like Sam, even though he's only just joined the club, he probably knows Corey a little bit better than me. Um, but Corey, yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, I think Solo calls him the Englishman. I don't. I don't think Solo knows anybody's name at the football club. He's he calls. <laughs> Solo just—he's got a nickname for everybody, and it's not even—it's not even your name. Um, but I mean, uh, I think Corey's how he is as a person um, has endeared him to the the players. Um, yeah, I mean, Sam's Sam probably hasn't seen uh, this side of Corey, and it took a while for him to come out of his shell. Um, you know, he was very quiet and reserved when he came over, but now you know, obviously, he's been involved in this FIFA tournament and. Uh, you know the boys Junior and Kev have been jumping in on that and then obviously you've got Sam talking so Corey's like he's kind of just he just filters between the groups like the scouts that he is he's uh, he's a wonderful character to have in the dressing room and I think all the boys you know appreciate what he brings off the field as well as on it So what's the strangest nickname that Solo's got for someone then? Uh, oh, I think he just calls BK goalkeeper <laughs> 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 you know, speaking of BK, he's just goalkeeper, a goalkeeper. Um, you know, he, he called, he had Muzz, he called Muzz the Rasta man. Uh, you know, he had Corey's the Englishman, AJ's the soldier boy. Um, I don't think he knows anybody's names. He just has these names in the stick. And, you know, that's why we love Solo. He, I mean, he's just, and he again, everything that happens in the dressing room centers around the captain. And he's, um, it's such a privilege to have, you know, him as the footballer of the year. I mean, he's MVP and quite rightly so, but. Uh, he's MVP in the locker room as well. He's always at the uh, the heart of all the jokes and everything. And um, I mean, he probably does know everybody's name, but it's probably just Solo and he's in uh, his own kind of character self that uh, that brings everybody together in his own way. So now, looking back, I suppose to you and looking towards the next steps. You know, back over the the winter, you were linked by uh, reports from Newcastle to the under twenty threes job in in Newcastle. Is that something that, you know, if the opportunity had come up, do you think you'd have taken it? Um, well, I actually got to the final two. Um, it was something I approached, uh, I approached Rick about. Um, there was, to be honest with you, it was a role that um, just came about out of the blue. Uh, and everybody, I mean, you guys know I'm a Geordie through and through. Uh, my family's from Newcastle. Uh, I got approached to to interview for the job, but I went directly to to Bobby and Rick and uh, and sat and had a really good long conversation with them. Uh, and it was only because it was Newcastle that you know I went for I went for the opportunity. 
Um, but I went through it with the support of the, the club. The owners um, were brilliant. Um, I got to the final two and, and obviously didn't make the cut, but um, Bobby was absolutely unbelievable in his support for me because he knew that what Newcastle means to me. And it was a chance, you know, throughout my career, I've, I've traveled it, like quote the old phrase, have boots will travel kind of thing. And, and that's me. I lived out, I lived out most of my career out of a suitcase. So to, to have that opportunity, I'd worked at the academy, but it was a, it was a bittersweet moment, if I'm brutally honest with you. And I was in a win-win situation because if I didn't get the job, then I'm in the best environment for me personally to keep, to carry on developing as a coach. And, you know, when I got that phone call that, uh, you know, that I was obviously unsuccessful in, in getting the role, I was like, well, all right, cool, never mind. Um, but for me personally as well, and one of the things that Rick was brilliant uh, throughout was that I had to, and Rick was encouraged me to embrace the, the challenge of an interview because, you know, there might be times where I'm not at Phoenix and I've got to go and interview for a job. So this was a good experience for me to, to take myself out of my comfort zone um, and put myself in a situation where I was vulnerable. Um, and I'd never interviewed. I'd, I've been in the game for 20, 20 plus years and I've never interviewed for a job. Um, never had the, you know, I, I'd never auditioned for a trial or anything like that. It was always, everything was handled for me by other people. So the club were unbelievable and Rick was um, such a, a shoulder of support for me throughout that process. And, you know, I think he was, he might say he was, he was happy that I didn't get the job, but, uh, you know, he might say he was, he's devastated that he, he got, he's finally going to get rid of us. But um, <laughs> I, I, I'm in, a, I'm in a, a place here where this, where this football club is, is going places. And, you know, like I said, the fact that I didn't get the job was, was a blessing in disguise because I think that, um, here I've got the ability with the support of, of Rick and the rest of the staff to, to develop as a, as a coach from with both the first team uh, and then obviously, you know, have an input uh, to, to building a legacy with the academy too. Now back with training, now back in training with Phoenix Rising, at least in some capacity, how's that been going for the club? How's that been going for you? How strange is it to be out there in just this, this different environment? Yeah, it's challenging. You know, me and Blair are forever on the phone trying to come up with different variations of training that's going to, you know, fit the protocols that have been set by the league. And it's, it's tough. All the guys want to do is kick, excuse the French, six, uh, six lumps there, horse. Six bags of shit out of each other. They just want to five aside, you know. They just want to play. They just want to kick each other in anger. They just want to. You just want to play football. But obviously, we we respect the league and its protocols, and we're and it's been challenging because, you know, the guys are the guys just want to play. But we're having to set up sessions that, you know, fit in with in line with the protocols. You know, this the small groups that we have. We have to. It's somewhat individual training um, within the small groups and. Um, it's hopefully, you know, we're going to get news over the next week or 10 days where we can open things up and, and get back to competitive, uh, competitive training and with a, with a, with an eye on starting the season again. Uh, I don't know how that's going, but I know that there's hopefully going to be decision in the, in, you know, the coming week. And obviously if you look at the picture more globally, look over to England and there have been some players have expressed concerns. I mean, Danny Rose is the most obvious one that maybe this is not the right time to be going back. Were you ever prepared as a coaching staff for how you would approach it if there was anybody that, that held, held those views? No, I don't think uh, I don't think anybody in the world was prepared for this. And you know, I was, Rick spent a lot of time, I've spent a lot of time, Brer spent a lot of time trying to figure it out via talking to other coaches and everybody's in the same boat. 
You know, I spoke to I spoke to when speaking to the Crystal Palace guys. You know, they've come back. They were asking. Obviously, we went back before the Premier League, and they were asking, "How do we? Do, how are we doing things?" So I'm getting Premier League coaches ringing me up. Rick's getting MLS coaches ringing him up. You know, people are. We kind of because of the way that we went back earlier than, than most of our leagues, it was kind of just trial by error. You know, we, but I firmly believe that it's the safest environment for these guys to train because we can control it. You know, we talked about the guys having the programs and protocols to keep fit, but they're going out in the parks. Well, I don't know if I'm running next to you. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know who you've come in contact with, but I know what the situation is with each and every single member of staff here at Phoenix Rise and then each and every single member of the playing staff. So, Shafiq, the, the, the equipment manager, has been absolutely incredible. Everything's disinfected. As soon as we're finished with a bit of equipment, it's disinfected. As soon as we're finished with, you know, the goals, goals are wiped down. Everything is clean for these guys to provide a safe, and, a safe environment for them to train in. So if it's, safe and if it's a safe environment, then why not have them training under our supervision? Um, now hopefully we can get to the next phase where we can, you know, begin contact. Uh, and like I said, get back to watching them kicking each other up a height. Well, I think we'll we'll round it out now after just one more question. But given you mentioned earlier, you need a bit of interview practice. I think this is a it's a classic job interview question. But uh, you, you're really obviously in your coaching career. Where do you see yourself in maybe three, five years time? Oh, so uh, cliche, Owen. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the answer to that is I don't know. Um, I know I have aspirations. I have goals. I want to. I want to coach in the Premier League. I want to coach at the international level. I want to coach in the MLS. I want to continue coaching in the youth. So um, I know that's literally. I've. I've. I've kind of given myself every opportunity. So wherever I land, I've said, "Yeah, I told you that I was going to coach in the. I told you I was going to the. I know you I was going to the youth." But I mean, I'm just really, really privileged to be working in an environment here that's allowing me to develop and you know, learn and make mistakes. Um, the ownership group we have at Phoenix are, are second to none for me. Um, they allow us to uh, try and implement our philosophy. You know, what we, what we began last year was from the coaching staff. And we didn't just have to get the buy-in from the, um, excuse me, from the players. We had to get the buy-in from the, the ownership group as well. I mean, it helps when you win 20 games on the trot to, to, uh, to get what you need. But um, so in the short term, I just want to continue developing here at Phoenix long term. Who knows? It just depends on where this path, you know, on the path to that journey to, to the next stage, to the three, to the five, to the ten years. Um, but I do have goals. I do have aspirations, like I said, to, to coach at the highest level. Management at this moment in time is not an option for me. I don't really want it. But then again, something might come up down the line where it's thrown upon me and, you know, you, you might be the, there might be the time to try it. But I'm enjoying time, life here. I'm enjoying being a part of this organisation. I'm enjoying the uh, the role that I've got, and I'm enjoying what's you know potentially in the future with the the youth side of things as well. So I've got I've a little bit of everything at this moment. It's uh, keep my appetite wet. Keeping your options open, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, we had a blast chatting with you. No, I've had a blast too. Thanks very much, guys. Bye.